Thank you so much for joining The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I am your host, Sharon Feckety, the author of The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I hope you will go on Amazon and purchase the book or download it on Audible and listen to the book so you can get some more insight as to why I decided to start this podcast show a few years ago and continue the conversation. You're going to hear from professionals. You're going to hear from people with lived experience, those that struggle with anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. Uh, You're going to listen to people that have recovered. Uh, You're going to hear resources about how you can navigate through this broken road to mental health and life in a business. And you will certainly be hearing me talk about the importance of having this discussion in business today. That is what I speak about at conferences, and I hope that you will take it seriously. We need to speak more about mental health in the workplace. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Please be sure to tell somebody you know that might be struggling to subscribe, to listen, to watch and share it with others. You are not alone on this broken road to mental health. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I am very happy to bring you today my friend, Don Ardell. Don Ardell, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here again. Yes. So Don is um, a friend now because I basically stalked him and made him become my friend. I don't think he had much of a choice in the situation. Would you agree? No, you didn't. I didn't feel I was being stalked, although uh, it would have been okay from you. I fa- I have fans. I, I mean, your interests. Yeah, I um, I wouldn't say that I'm the type that falls for maybe you know like a Kardashian or some celebrity. I'm really interested in people that want to have real conversations. Um and not be so scared and intimidated. And you have been, you know, well, an outspoken free thinker who promotes a philosophy of real wellness for a very long time now. And I appreciate it. So with that, um, Don is here in Florida where I am in the Tampa Bay area. And I'm so lucky that you are here. And so many of us are. And maybe just to give everybody a little insight um, about who you are, you could just talk about, I don't know, let's start with how many triathlons have you done? I didn't keep track, but uh, I'd estimate I've done at least 100 and maybe half again as many as that since, since my first triathlon in 1982, which was just pure chance. I wasn't prepared for it. I didn't know how to spell triathlon. I just happened to be in Kansas City giving a keynote at the opening of a new wing of a hospital there. And they were the sponsors of an event they called a triathlon, which doesn't resemble too much the kind of races we have today. It started out with with a a bike and then it became a a run. And I mean, it was all mixed up, but I didn't know it was mixed up and neither did they because it was the beginning of the sport. Anyway, I was there and they said, well, look, you're a fit guy, you're a runner. Uh, maybe it will build a bigger audience for your talk tomorrow night if you could show up and give a little talk and maybe even do this event we're we're sponsoring. And I said, what's involved? And they explained uh, it's running. Whoa, I'm ready for that. Uh, Because I was a runner at that point. Uh, 
and also biking. And I said, well, I biked as a kid. Uh, if you can get a bike, sure, why not? And swimming. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, I was a lifeguard, but I never really did much actual swimming back and forth and across lakes and so forth. I can swim, but I haven't even been doing that for uh, decades. But yeah, I could do that. With a, well, it turned out to be a mile swim in a big crowd. Uh, and the bicycle they got for me weighed about 100 pounds. Uh, it was huge and old and not well maintained. And so even though I started in the first wave, by the time I got off that bike, I was near the end. But mm. I did enjoy the run very much. And I thought, you know, there might be something to this if I learned to swim and buy a bike and uh, practice. And I've been enjoying them ever since. I was going to do one this Sunday, but because I got sick overseas a couple of weeks ago, I had to postpone it till next year. I so that means actively, uh, Don, just so if you were feeling good about yourself today, you could probably go down and start feeling bad about yourself right about now where, you know, I haven't done a triathlon. Oh, no, no, no nothing like that. I have no problems not doing the triathlon. No, I, 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 I exercise every day anyway. I did 600 push-ups already this morning and walked. Did everybody hear that? Miles. Don, so, I think you I'm said good. that too fast. You said that too fast. Don has already done 600 push-ups today. <laughs> What the heck, man? I thought I was doing good because I got up and did a little strength training and some meditation, 600 push-ups. So, okay. I wanted everybody to have a little bit of, of background of, of who I am talking to today, who, you know, uh, when you say real wellness, you are living, breathing, eating, walking, swimming, running real wellness and have been for a very long time. So, uh, why don't you just give everybody a little background of, because, you know, Don has been on the Dr. Whisperer show with me. And if you're uh, somebody who listens to that show or watches that show, thank you for listening to both. But we are on the broken road to mental health. And just as Don and I have had conversations before about how, you know, our, our mental health and our physical health are so vastly connected. Why don't you just give some insight into your career and then, and how you've evolved into what you're still doing today, talking about real wellness. Okay. Well, I was always an athlete from the time I started being allowed to go outside the house on my own. Uh, we just, everybody played games and uh, I fit right into that. And that was a lot of fun. I was just an ordinary student, had a modest interest in ideas at the time, was raised in a religion, which was more like a cult, even though it has billions of members, it's still a cult. And uh, it wasn't until I graduated from high school and went into the military for three years that I really began to evolve into the kind of person I decided might be good to be. And um, so, I became much more interested in the world of ideas while I was in the military. And I took courses at night and I played on Air Force teams in basketball, track and field. And uh, on, in one season, even on the football team. So I had time away from boring duties, doing fun things and getting better at my sports. Mm -hmm. And while I was in the military, I was approached by a coach of George Washington University and 
invited to come to GW when I got finished with my military, which mm. was shortened because I wasn't that important to the Air Force and there were no wars going on. So they let me out a year early, honorably and all that good stuff. And I went right to George Washington. And from there, uh, just life's been great. Um, yeah. Uh, initially, I I went to graduate school. After graduating, I went to graduate school at Carolina at Chapel Hill and got a master's in urban planning and was in that field for a couple of years. And then I evolved just through chance and circumstance into a related area called health planning that was heavily funded by the government at the time because costs were skyrocketing even though now it seems inexpensive relative to how much we spend today. And by say, when I say healthcare, of course, I mean the gigantic medical system, not a system that's built on encouraging and supporting people in being well in the first place, staying well right. in the first place. And then after health planning for a while in varied cities, I had the idea that modern medicine's a wonderful thing, but there are two problems. People expect too much of it and too little of themselves. And I discovered the idea that was initially described in the 50s by a physician named Halbert L. Dunn. And I looked into that. I visited his home in Bethesda. I met doctors who knew about this man's work. And I started trying to integrate it into health planning. Hmm. Pretty soon, I decided that health planning wasn't going to move in this direction. It was going to remain about manpower and facilities and hospitals and treatments. And so I went back to school, started a PhD program, initially at Stanford at the business school, and then at the University of uh, the Union University in Cincinnati, Ohio, got a PhD and wrote a book as part of my dissertation. Well, I didn't, I didn't know it was going to be a book, but I did research that, that resulted in articles for Rodale Press, Prevention Magazine, and they asked me to turn some of this into a larger piece for a, for a book and make a proposal. Long and short of it is, my dissertation was remodeled and refashioned and it became my first book. Hmm. First book in wellness for that matter called High Level Wellness, an Alternative to Doctors, Drugs and Disease. And I haven't really had to work too much since that time because <laughs> I, I've been invited to talk about it, write more books and create a website and blah, 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 do all the things that people do when they're working for themselves essentially and promoting ideas. Yeah. So that was, again, that book was High Level Wellness, an Alternative to Doctors, Drugs and Disease. And I've written about 15 books since then. And every time I write another book, I write another wellness report, I learn new things in the research associated with doing so. Um, my latest book, two books are, not Dead Yet, which is about thriving and flourishing in later life. I know a few things about later life now because I'm coming up on 85. Mm -hmm. And uh, my latest is called Freedom from Religion in 30 Days. And that was good fun to write because it, that's my number one interest right now is trying to connect real wellness and how people are going to be able to live in a manner consistent with this philosophy and lifestyle if we continue to evolve towards a theology, a theocracy rather, because of the influence of Christian nationalism and the, Gen and the Republican Party. 
Um, basically, they're a threat to reason, to exuberance, and to liberty or personal freedoms, which are so important to living in a manner that's consistent with real wellness. Mm. Well, wrong, wrong answer to your question. No, I mean, my goodness, it could have been longer, right? I mean, there's been so much and I've always been uh, an advocate for if you don't understand your history, you're really never going to understand your future. And I think you giving us that that background story and, and why you do the things that you do today or why you write the books that you write today or why you dedicated so much of your life to to real wellness um, you know, it's it's your purpose, right? I I would assume that is, you know, what you believe in your soul is your, is your purpose. And I I've read many of your um, wonderful real wellness reports, and I love how I think the thing I love the most about you is that you are not afraid of speaking really like your mind. That sounds very simple, right? But you really don't care what anybody else thinks because you believe so strongly about the the research and and just how you live your life today. So you've been very vocal and you've had a lot of um disagreements you and I have shared together just about how you know, the Global Wellness Institute and how you've been challenging to them, but have a, a regard for them and a respect. And I think one of the best things about real wellness is being able to listen to people and being open-minded uh, and then being able to have a, a conversation. And we don't always have to agree, but we have to give each other an opportunity to be heard. And, you know, I think one of the things that I've learned over the years is, you know, listening is not waiting for our turn to talk. It's really listening and, and understanding why certain people are the way that they are. Yeah. Anyway, I could go off and go ahead, Don. Well, one thing I want to say is that, well, I know you didn't mean it literally. Uh, the fact is I do care very much what people think of me. Mm -hmm. uh, I think very much of what they think of my ideas and the presentations and the concepts and the proposals that I make relative to ways in which to function effectively in a mental and physical way. I think um, it's important to be sensitive to feedback and to yet at the same time present a consistent image that's honest and, and, and true to what, what seems to be really important. And that's why I believe it's so critical to address superstition, which is at the foundation of so much of our political turmoil, because people are relying on revelation and early programming and indoctrination and giving less attention to free inquiry and evidentiary, evidentiary reasoning, critical thinking, and, uh, and are not open-minded about points of view inconsistent with what they've learned in their social groups. So sure. it's important to be attentive to those those situations and to, while not disguising what you think, at least present it in a way that doesn't needlessly aggravate people if you can avoid doing that and still keeping a sense of humor. Right. Sense of humor being key. So before we hit record, I talked about how 
um, I would really like to have the conversation surrounding how the political climate that we are living in and these really horrific decisions that are being made that will ultimately affect not only adults, but will affect our children and the younger generations and removing books and um, all of the the issues now with so many people that are LGBTQ plus that are moving and considering leaving the state of Florida, which is where we are, um, based upon political decisions. And I don't think that uh, we need to be angry about it, so to speak, but more to have conversation. I don't think, well, I don't know what anybody else thinks. I only know what I think. I don't think people realize the damage that is being done. The featured essay in Real Wellness Report number 852, which will be out Saturday, is entitled The Republican Party and Christian Nationalism Are to Democracy and Personal Freedoms What COVID Is to Real Wellness, namely an existential threat. And I think a, a real wellness philosophy and lifestyle will dramatically boost your chances for a good life with reasonably positive mental and physical well-being, but not if you live under the limits, hazards, and impositions of an oppressive theocratic government. Real wellness can only thrive and flourish in a free society, and we're in danger of losing ours. That's the theme of the next wellness report. And by the way, any of your readers who would like a copy, it's free and I'll happily send people copy on request. Great. So we'll definitely put the link to, to request um, the real wellness report in the show notes, because I do, uh, I really enjoy reading uh, them. And I think it's, well, it's wonderful to be able to have these conversations without um once once I see the word Republican, just to be very honest and transparent, which I always am, I think, wow, you know, I think in business, a lot of people are are afraid of that. Just the the term, it's so um, everything feels so tense right now, right? And welcome, welcome to Florida. It's the, it's like Texas. I mean, it seems that it's been taken over by autocrats, and the legislature and the governor in both states are really beyond belief. And uh, you'd be amazed at how much concern I hear from people in other states and throughout the world. I mean, I have hundreds of readers in Europe and uh, some in the. Far East, Japan, for example, South Korea. People are concerned and you know, they don't even hear. Uh, but again, we, we live in a little bubble here in the, in the Tampa Bay area and there are other places throughout Florida and Texas that like Austin that uh, are right in the center of it. And yeah. We don't well, want it to spread beyond that. There are something like 26 states that are controlled by Republicans. That's pretty serious. Well, it's it's very scary to I just read a post this morning about um, 
a grant who was somebody who was supposed to be a grandfather, his daughter, unfortunately, um, lost a child eight months into her pregnancy, lives here in the state of Florida, not only is dealing with a devastating loss because it's a loss of a child, she now has to leave the state of Florida to have the medical procedure. And it is it is beyond what we could possibly imagine happening in 2023. And it's even worse than that because she could be prosecuted for leaving the state under conditions that might suspect that she had an abortion deliberately. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, we always, in, in, in the wellness area, whether it's just regular wellness that began 50 years ago versus the more specific kind of form of wellness, which is all positive and it's focused on what you can do for yourself and working with others, not about products or services or treatments. It's very much on the positive side. With that comes a a positive attitude, looking on the bright side, for example. But somebody named Derek Thompson in the current issue of The Atlantic wrote something that really got my attention. Uh, If you have just about 30 seconds, I'll read what Derek Thompson wrote. Please do. The 10,000 year story of human civilization is mostly the story of things not getting better, diseases not being cured, freedoms not being extended, truths not being transmitted, technology not delivering on its promises. Progress is our escape from the status quo of suffering, our ejection seat from history. It is the less common story of how our inventions and institutions reduce disease, poverty, pain, and violence while expanding freedom, happiness, and empowerment. It's a story that has almost ground to a halt in the United States. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited to tell you about our sponsor, Valley Bank. To know that we have a bank that thinks so much about mental health in the workplace has made me so proud. Valley Bank is my bank for business and has been since the day I opened 10 years ago. When I was introduced to them, I was told that I was going to really like everybody that worked for the bank. And I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. Turns out they were right. I like everybody that works there. They are good people, nice people, and they care about others. They care about the community. But the thing I am most proud of is how they are welcoming the conversation about mental health in the workplace into their bank and willing to take that risk and talk about it in our community. Valley Bank is definitely forging the way in business to open up this conversation. If it wasn't for my father's employee assistance program back in the day, 28 years ago, I would not be on this podcast today. It just goes to show when you offer these resources to your company and to your team, miracles can happen. I am one of them. So Valley Bank not only offers an employee assistance program to their staff and their team members, but they also send out these great vitality monthly communications, bi-weekly wellness resources, and they're willing to sponsor a podcast that is about mental health in life and in business. So if you have not connected with Valley Bank, I highly recommend you do. 
Well, if you've been listening or watching the show for a while, you know that I love nothing more than recommending a great book, a great podcast show, a great resource. And this book, Keep Kicking Frisco, Keep Kicking, is such a great book. And I highly, highly recommend it. So Dr. Torres in his mid-20s in his second year of med school was being rushed to the hospital, rushed to the ER. They didn't know what was going on with him. It turns out he was suffering from panic attacks and anxiety. But, you know, the doctors, his own colleagues didn't know what to do with him. And Dr. Torres was forced to treat himself. So doctors always take a medical history and Dr. Torres' self-assessment was no different. And keep kicking Frisco. Torres describes what wacky journey of self-discovery can be like and sheds light on how the accumulated eccentricities of our upbringings shape the person we grow up to be. Mm -hmm. Panic attacks and all, everybody. So apart from this incredible family history story, the book aims to demonstrate how the lives of others intersect with our own and shape who we become. For those who suffer from anxiety, depression, and fear, Dr. Torres' story absolutely offers hope for the future and a blueprint of how to overcome the panic we sometimes face in our own lives. So check out the show notes, click on the link, get the book. You won't regret it. Keep kicking. Well, you know, I think one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you today, Don, was because what is going on in the world is seriously affecting so many people and specific types of groups of people right now. Um, and it is, it's very worrisome to know that we not only just, you know, are crawling out of this pandemic, but also, you know, the after effects of all of that and, and the isolation and the, um, all of the negativity and, and the news and and my concern is always because I have a I have a real wellness plan for my life. And a lot of it is a lot of what I've learned from you and, and many other great thinkers about, you know, real wellness for me is based on love and tolerance and patience. And yes, how we live our lives. I might not have woken up and done 600 push-ups like you, Don. But I start my morning, you know, with exercise and meditation and then nature because it's, I, I need to stay grounded because, right. but more so in the world that we're living in today, because it can be so volatile. So maybe we could give the audience um, some hope, Don. Well, let's try that. Uh, you mentioned exercise. Uh, I R-E-A-L is an acronym for Reason, Exuberance, Athleticism, and Liberty. And with respect to the threat from Christian nationalism and theocracy, athleticism at first doesn't seem as if it's going to be very much affected. But for example, if the Republican Freedom Caucus in the House of Representatives blocks the ability of the administration to pay its bills, by not increasing the debt limit, that's gonna cause economic dislocation. And that means fitness centers and people's ability to pay for personal care related to athleticism will be affected. Um, 
The dramatic differences will come in reason and liberty or personal freedoms. And in the report, I wrote that we already see the, the effects of Republican Christian nationalism here in Florida, as well as in Texas and other critical and other red states. Critical thinking and evidence-based policies, empirical inquiry, knowledge, respect for science is suffering. Superstition, faith-based pedagogy and reliance on claims of revelations or in ascendance. Instead of celebrating the proposed National Day of Reason, which has been introduced by freethinkers in the Congress, the Christian, if the Christian nationalists have their way, will have a National Day of Superstition to go along with the egregious National Day of Prayer that already exists. Jamie Raskin, a congressman, said this, right now, authoritarian despots from Moscow to Mar-a-Lago are promoting conspiracy theories, bigotry, and propaganda to undermine the habits of critical thinking and logical reasoning that are central to our democracy. We need to combat the flood of disinformation and lies in order to restore truth and reason to their rightful place in our democracy. So he said, <laughs> he's introducing the National Day of Reason because the quest for truth is interwoven with strong democracy. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, Don, how will we oh. ever come out of this mess that we're in? <laughs> right? And how how do we navigate through this time? I, I know that because, like myself, you have a, a way of, yes, you're definitely understanding of what's going on in the world and you're processing all of it and you're writing about it. Um, you're not exuding the anger that typically would come from somebody that is just hearing about what's going on in the world. And then they're just raging out, right? You know, there's yeah. this. Well, if I thought it would help. I'd get angry, but I think we need to quietly approach the issues and expect improvements over time and not sudden reversals. I, I, the, the report that I'm sending out Saturday is going to contain a list of recommendations of what individuals can do. Obviously, <laughs> the first and most important is to become informed and vote. Don't miss a vote. Don't miss a vote. People, people. who represent us in uh, Congress, as well as local public officials, they influence things like who gets appointed to be judges from at the regional level all the way up to the Supreme Court. You see what's happened with the Supreme Court of the United States in the, since the Trump came into office and appointed the extremists. Yes. Who reversed Roe v. Wade and Nora added again uh, in a variety of other cases that are coming before them that are privileging religion. But anyway, um, I will rec recommend a lot of things we can do. One other one that I'll, I'll mention is to politely have discussions with people who disagree with us and not expect them to change as a consequence of that on the spot, but to try to get them to at least be open to becoming more informed and not just focusing entirely on Fox News and other news that they already well, how does that happen, Don? I think that, that that is one of the reasons why that there's such a big difference when I have a conversation 
today with somebody that is not aligned maybe where I am politically or about religion or, I mean, I know many bigots and I know many um, people that don't think that gay people have the right to get married. I know many of them and they live in my community and I hear them and they speak to me thinking that I align with them because I'm a white woman in business that's living in the state of Florida. And I, you know, really egregiously disagree with so many of the things that I hear, but I like yourself, I choose, well, for me as a sober woman of 28 years, I choose not to be angry today because I cannot afford to be angry. Anger is is not, there is a healthy part of anger. Yes, I, I do believe, but I think that if we don't allow each other an opportunity to listen and have an understanding about why somebody might have the beliefs that they have. You know, I grew up in New York. I grew up in a totally different world than where I live today. I grew up with immigrant Irish parents from Dublin. We think very differently than the people that surround me in my own community. So I have a great understanding now, 18 years being here in Florida, that, well, if you're raised with people that look the same way that you do your whole life (laughs) and all go to the same church and generations and generations, uh, I understand why some people might think the way that they do, but there has to be a place of, of understanding, which is what you mentioned before, we have to be able to listen to each other. Exactly. And it's also important to disabuse family and friends and total strangers that people they like, people who are part of their world, have different ideas than they have uh, if, they're, if we're talking about magotypes, uh, that you can politely let people know that you know, you, you don't have any, you don't want to hurt people who are, are different from you for reasons of race or of sexual preference or whatever. I mean, there are just so many categories that people are against and uh, they don't really understand what, what's going on. And they're not as committed as they, they might think they are to democracy when they're intolerant of views that are different from their own. So in a polite way, start a discussion with no expectations, but just to leave a sense of feeling that, you know, that person's an atheist, but he's really not that bad a person. I mean, he seems pretty reasonable. uh, You know, it's not going to solve anything quickly, but over time and with multiple people engaged in these kinds of discussions, um, maybe it can affect some votes and otherwise have an influence on more people. I mean, after all, a third of the population today are categorized as nuns. They're not affiliated with any religion. And yet that's not represented in the makeup of our political institutions. Mm. It's because of the um, gerrymandering and the impact of rural areas where people are not as open and exposed to education and other benefits of the larger world we're elect, America is electing these people who are not representative of the country or what it's supposed to be about and what yeah. we value about it in terms of these real wellness qualities. Yeah. Well, I am. Um, I don't know, Don. Sometimes I'm, especially when I read your work, I'm like, oh my goodness, we have 
we have really gone back many, many years in just when you think that we've we've made headway in the world that we're living in, it's amazing when there are people in power. And that's why you say, you know, when you talk about voting, uh, it is so it is so important. It is so important to understand uh who is impacting change and it's it's people in in the political sector we if we really want to make changes in terms of um mental health even and and rehabs and all of the the resources you really have to know uh your elected officials and you have to speak out you have well i think that we are all um although it might not always be easy i think that it's important that we are on the right side of history and not standing in silence, not saying anything, even though these are difficult conversations. And when I think to myself of, I have a, a wonderful institution that's sponsoring my show. And I think, well, well, if we're going to be talking about Republicans or our politics, how that could impact me as a business owner, I would be lying if I said I didn't think about that, but I am way more willing to have an to have my dog interrupt and have an open conversation about the things that are important than pretending it's not happening. Good points. You know, the whole concept of wellness has evolved so much um, since the publication of that first book on level wellness in 1977. The focus then was fitness and nutrition and personal responsibility, a little bit about stress, something about the environment and the limitations of the medical system. Now, just think of how the focus is so much more on the mental qualities that affect those those early areas that were emphasized. And the mental qualities cannot escape what's going on in the social environment and in the political realm. We've all heard growing up that for polite dinner conversations and in other social contexts, it's best to avoid subjects of politics, sex, and religion. But we we really can't do that anymore with respect to politics. And uh, sex and religion, well, that's not quite as gripping and important right now in terms of dialogue with larger communities as is the matter of public policies and how we we need to make sure that the vote is protected. Yeah. Uh, we had a Republican leader at a gathering of Republican politicians just last week suggesting that it's vital that they create legislation that eliminates the ability of young people in college communities to vote because these people are all a bunch of liberals, which is true. Of not all, but a significant number of the younger generations are committed to democracy and to free speech, to reason, and to personal freedoms. So they're clearly alienated by against the, what they see as Christian nationalism. Mm. And the Republicans know this, and that's why they're so. It's so important for them to restrict the votes by and to create. Seats, for example, in the House of Representatives that are likely to be safe for people with uh, troglodyte points of view on social freedoms. Yeah, points of view, exactly. I think that um, 
my I've been saying this a lot lately. Our our younger generations are our only hope at this point. And I'm so proud that they come out and they vote and that they take to social media platforms and use them for good and voice their opinions and talk about what they won't tolerate, because that is the only way that we're going to be able to affect change, in my opinion, is to encourage our, our younger generations. Because sometimes, besides you, Don, I don't feel like there's a lot of um, elderly uh, white men that are talking about, you know, evolving and, you know, being open-minded and free. It is a very closed-minded way of, of thinking when we are restricting people to live a life of however they're meant to live it, however they're born, whether that be you know, gay, or if, if somebody is, is raped and they can't have an abortion, I mean, shame on the world that we're living in today for somebody to restrict me as a woman on what I might do with my own body, you know? So, well, I've got an item, a news item that might be a little bit encouraging in this context. Yesterday, I listened to the latest podcast of the Freedom from Religion Foundation. It's available at any time, just YouTube, and go to YouTube and look for Freedom from Religion. They had a guest on who's done extensive research on age groups and their predilections with respect to religion. And he found that while it's true that young people are overwhelmingly becoming less religion, religious than has been the case before, they, they are the highest group of people who are non-religious. But in every age cohort, and I found this amazing, from the 30s, the 40s, and he listed the different names that go with the generations. He listed all those generations and every one of them including my own, are marked by having less religiosity than in the past. Mm. It's not just young people. Even older populations are less religious than older populations of a previous time were. Yeah. You know, it, I don't know what it was that sparked me thinking about uh, just just the other day, somebody said, oh, you know, the the, the younger kids, they, they all have anxiety or they all suffer from depression. And I said, well, you know, uh, our generation growing up was, we weren't afraid to go to school and get shot. Like there were no drills in our school about teachers protecting us and even a consideration of, of holding a gun. Um, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't a, a global pandemic that forced children to stay isolated um, and not attend maybe the funeral of their father, grandfather, or sister. So, you know, there's so much, I feel, ignorance surrounding the things that people say without getting more informed and having a better understanding of, imagine what it would be like for you growing up in a society today that has, you know, just reversed history in so many ways and 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 just been sliding down this this slow, vicious slope of taking away so much of our freedom and our liberty. And then on top of that, being afraid of what they have to face, just going to school. Well, just imagine what it would be like to live in Russia with your current values of free or wellness or Iran or Iran. any other theocracy or totalitarian government. It's, right. it's just makes it clearer 
that the way we live and the, the quality of our lives, the, the extent to which we can experience the exuberance you spoke about earlier with, uh, regarding love and compassion and relationships, it, it would be a different world and uh, a very grim world. Uh, it would be, we have something that's worth protecting. Absolutely. And with that, Don, we hope that anybody that is listening or watching um, that you maybe just turn off the news, you know, don't spend your whole day down this political, uh, you know, I'm stay informed, but don't stay angry. I don't think that we are meant to to walk around angry um, because anger can turn into rage and uh, the world that we're living in today, you can see a lot of it. I hope that you can take a deep breath, walk away, listen to somebody that might disagree with you. You don't, you're not going to solve somebody else's uh, way of being raised in a five minute conversation. You know, listening to each other is the first step I feel like in, in getting anywhere um, in terms of, of opening somebody else's mind and just sharing respectfully with each other. Um, with with love in our hearts and you know stop stop not talking to your family members that disagree with you you know enough of that we have holidays eventually coming up where thanksgiving and christmas you know it's a few months away we want to be able to spend that time with our family right i mean political issues aside let's let's try to stay united here 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 don (laughs) what your soul said the time to be happy is now the place to be happy is here, and the way to be happy is to make others so. Mm. The same applies not just to happiness, but to living life freely, being honest, being, being joyful at every opportunity, making the best of the circumstances. Yeah. Amen to that. All right. Thank you so much, Don. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for all you do to help me and to help others. Keep sending out those reports of wellness and all the show notes of how to reach Don and follow him on TikTok. I mean, that's how evolved Don is, man. You want to follow Don on TikTok. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Sharon. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Don't forget to check out Valley Perry for all your banking needs. They are supporting mental health in the workplace and beyond. Thank you, Valley. Don't forget to check out Keep Kicking Frisco. Keep kicking. You won't regret it. Link in the show notes. Just keep